Okay, welcome to another Sermon Question and Answer podcast. Um, my name is Josh. I don't think I've ever actually said my name. On You're the this. voice. That's me. That's the mysterious voice Do you want to tell yourself a little bit about it yourself? It all started um, back in 1984. Yes. No, um, I'm sitting here with Pastor Joey, and Pastor Sean is absent today, but um, we're going to try to cover... Not some. because of the rapture, though. No, he wasn't raptured. We, yeah. we weren't left behind. Yep. Um, but we're going to try to cover some discussion and, and flesh out a little bit on, uh, from his sermon on Sunday regarding um, the title of the sermon was Big Picture Unity and just talking about the way um, the church in Corinth trivialized a few different things in, in the body. They trivialized the church's authority, trivialized their understanding of the gospel, and they trivialized, trivialized that's a hard word to say, sexual sin. Um, so the first part of the sermon, he kind of covered this ground about... Um, lawsuits against fellow Christians, which is one of the things the Corinthian church was going outside, I guess, of the church's authority um, and looking to for civil authority to come and make decisions when they were, when they were, um, th- there was some sort of dispute between them. And Paul's instructing them that they should, they should bring it before the church before they bring it outside of the church, excluding, in our culture, we would exclude things like abuse of a minor and that sort of thing before, you know, we would get the law involved at that point. But um, the one the one thing that stuck out to me when he was talking about that was how um, we have in our culture, and, you know, it parallels the culture of the church in Corinth, um, this lower view of church where we don't um, bring disagreements or quarrels that we might have with somebody uh, within the church for resolution. We look outside the church for that type of resolution. We we don't respect the guidance and the counsel that the Lord has instructed the church to give to its belief, uh, its body. Yeah, I think some of it is we're um, very individualized in our walk with the Lord. So we've, for ru- whatever reason, <coughs> this would be a good like study for somebody to do. But we, um, when we talk about. Um, Christ being the Lord of your personal life, which is absolutely right. Like uh, salvation is an individualistic thing in the sense of it's it's the Lord that does that does the saving of individuals' souls. But that doesn't mean that we're to live individualized lives, separate, outside of community, outside of the authority of the local church. And so, what I've seen, which is encouraging, at least it's as old as Corinth, is. There is this disconnect for people. A lot of times the last place that they go in regards to a myriad of things, right? We, If we were, um, and you and I have had this conversation before, but if we were to drive down uh, or just drive around the peninsula and you see some of these older church, church buildings and they have a graveyard there and we look at that graveyard and think, man, that's, that's crazy that... Uh, Churches used to provide a place for the members there to be buried. Um, we've, in a sense, moved off the mark, or we wrestle with realizing that the church used to be this hub and can be again where people um, not only uh, are gathering together corporately on the Lord's Day to hear the preaching of the Word, singing of the Word, praying of the Word, um, but it's also a place where the implications of the gospel touch other aspects of our lives. And so uh, 
And so these churches, hey, you're a member here. We love you. We don't want you to worry about when you die, we're going to bury you in the backyard because we love you and we got a, a plop for you. Like that, um, imagine how comforting that, that is to, to people, especially as they get older in their lives. That That's something that, that's this member benefit to them or, um, you know, the prior to the early 1900s, uh, it was absurd to think that counsel and care would come anywhere, uh, come from anywhere other than the local church. Um, but but then the turn of the century, right? The church stops putting an emphasis on the sufficiency of Scripture, and uh, there's this vacuum, and all of a sudden, all all these uh, counseling organizations outside of the local church begin to make an appearance, and people begin to get conflicting advice from what they were hearing in the uh, pulpit being preached. And and so there's these areas where um, people now have been conditioned for various reasons to think in order to get care um, or in order to receive a certain type of counsel, I need to go somewhere outside of the local church. That's not something the local church provides. Where the local church was the hub for so long of education, it was the hub of Healthcare. It was the hub of uh, for everything from uh, the beginning of life to the end of life. Uh, the church provided care. It was this vibrant um, center where the souls of people were um, taken care of, and uh, and so I think you know even the Church of Corinth at, at this point has lost sight in that way, which is the which was neat that that Sean brought out the lawsuit piece, like quicker to go to the judge rather than let the the local church handle this case that's going on or help if especially the two being believers as Christians uh, we should process lawsuits differently than lost people do and um, but sometimes we forget that so we need to be surrounded by people that can remind us of how to think through even how we deal with contracts with one another, and um, and so I, I think that's a, a a beautiful one of the the beautiful things about being plugged in at a local church is we, we compartmentalize the gospel. Right? We need we need to let it seep into absolutely every aspect of our lives, and um, so yeah, yeah. I think of um, you know, it com- what comes. This chapter immediately follows the discussion on um, church discipline, and it's um, I think there's a little bit of overlap there where you're talking about you know if you got if you're talking about two believers like you said, there should be re- be able to be some sort of reconciliation without having to have legal arbitration yeah. between the two people. They should be able to um, somebody the wronged the wronger should be able to see. The problem and, and repent, and the wronged should be able to extend grace and mercy and forgiveness. Yeah, absolutely, for how they've been, if how they were wronged, and um, but we don't do that. And yeah. I think even on a smaller scale, um, you know, talking about sort of zooming out and talking about unity um, as a whole in the church, uh, we're so quick to jump from from church uh, to church body. Um, I got my feelings hurt here. I'm going to go over to this church now. Um, but your feelings are going to get hurt again because you're talking about people that are um, that are struggling um, and fighting against sin. 
So we're, we haven't yet achieved perfection. So we're going to be wronged again, and it's the the solution isn't always I need to go somewhere else. It's I need to I need to be willing to forgive and and let go of those those wrongs and those hurts. I think some of it is a failure to see. Like we talk about dealing with conflict, we talk about persevering with one another. But in those times where we're offended, we don't realize maybe the Lord's teaching us how to deal with conflict in this hostile relationship that we should persevere in. But we can't learn that lesson if we just up and leave every time our feelings are hurt or something goes wrong or there's some sort of friction. We constantly run from conflict. And I think the local church is a great uh, place where um, the Lord can teach us perseverance with one another. The Lord can teach us forgiveness. And all of that should point us ultimately to the the perseverance of our Savior and and the the ultimate forgiveness that God's provided us in our Savior, all of that stuff should point us back to how God's dealt with us through Christ. Um, there's some resources even, um, I was thinking through, even just peacemaking in general, that I think the local church is, it's come from the local church, that if you're dealing with a conflict, uh, some relational conflict in and it's almost at this point of where you're you're thinking you need to get a legal system involved. Um, I'd in, uh, encourage two good books, uh, The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. Um, it's uh, uh, essentially how to deal with with relationships in a in a biblical manner. Um, and then there's a there's a book called um, The Peace Peacemaker. No, did I say Peacemaker? What's the book with the uh, the Couches on uh, it. Uh, pursuing peace. Pursuing peace. That's it. Yes. Um, pursuing peace by Robert D. Jones. Not to be confused with Bob Jones. He doesn't like to be confused with Bob Jones. He he introduces himself as Robert Jones, and this says, "But you can call me Bob." Um, but uh, he wrote a great book that's highly practical, easy to read. That's uh, that goes over bearing with one another, forgiving one another. That's all grounded uh, in the gospel, and so. So if you want to kind of dive deeper and further study, uh, you know, I do need to submit my thinking in the way, uh, in regards to the horizontal relationships in my life, I need to submit my thinking to the authority of the local church and to the scriptures. Um, those are two books that are rooted in the Word of God, written by men that are very active in their, their local church, that I think can help navigate your thinking on that, if you're looking just for an extension. <clears throat> and so... So yeah, it's good stuff. The authority of the local church is is a response. Uh, God expects us to care, to link arms, care with one another, persevere with one another. So, and we're easily lose sight of that. I think even. <clears throat> do you think a piece of it might even be the fact that in the Protestant church we we buck against, um, and rightfully so, like the infallibility of of. Um, the pope. pope in the Roman Catholic Church and sort yeah. of this very structured church government. Um, yeah. Maybe we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater a little bit in the sense that we've we've become so we're so um, you know and there's good to it you know because we have the there's the priesthood of all believers that we all have a direct relationship with Christ without the need of an inter a human intermediary. But maybe now we've we've gotten to the point where we don't want to we don't want to submit to any. Um, any authority of the church, and we we want to um, figure it out for ourselves, in a sense. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think we we're, we're people that live in extremes, and so the one extreme of the pope, which is a heresy, um, uh, and 
should be done away with. We swing the pendulum the other way to uh, church government structure is evil, uh, and we fail to we fail to see the biblical setup of church office, church you know the establishment of elders, the establishment of deacons, the establishment of individual local churches, and um, and kind of the role that 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 all plays so that. Uh, the gospel can be lifted up and people can be cared for in a or it takes organization for people to be cared for and for Christ to be lifted up. God's a God of order. He created things in order. We see that we just went through the series in Genesis chapter 1 and 11 and you see the God of order there. And and so if, if God's the God of order, not the God of chaos, why would his church not be orderly? Um, the Apostle Paul even talks about worship being done in a orderly and decent manner. Um, and so we don't need to buck against that because we've seen unbiblical abuses of it. Um, uh, and with the, you know, and, and church leaders, I think, in the Protestant denominations have to make sure that they don't um, abuse it too, right? The pastor isn't the man. You know, the pastor isn't the man of God coming down from the mountain, and nor should we present him as such or teach it as such. And, um, and and neither are the church leaders. They're they're humble servants that um, should be declaring God's word boldly, appropriately, um, faithfully, um, carefully. All, all of those things. And so I think even you know we we see the big dangers of Catholicism, but sometimes we don't see our own dangers in Protestantism, where it's it's. Uh, the leadership is abusive in, in a sense, and so uh, and so, just as uh, members need to make sure they don't swing the pendulum too far and say that I'm not submitting to church authority, and and they then fall into sin because of that. Church leaders of Protestant churches need to be aware that they too can sin in the way that they govern, and uh, that they're not above uh, stumbling in the way that we've seen. Um, Catholic leaders stumble, and so, um, so we we need to be aware of our potential blind spots, and above all, we need to seek to be biblical in the way that we conduct um, church life. If that makes sense. If not, I don't know. Um, another point that that Pastor Shauna made um, was talking about the, uh, how the Corinthians trivialized um, the gospel and their understanding of it. Um, and pulling out, you know, from First Corinthians six, where where Paul lists um, in verses nine and ten, he lists sort of the general behaviors of of unbelievers, um, habitual patterns of sin that they don't repent of um, because they haven't been haven't been given the ability to repent. Um, God hasn't softened their heart. But then he 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 um, in the verse in verse eleven he says, and such were some of you. Um, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God, um, which is a beautiful um, way to to come off of this list of of ugly, destructive sin. Um, Paul says, you know, there's no difference in in your past. You're coming from the same place, but God has restored you to relationship with Him. He's washed you, and now you're um, declared righteous in front uh, before Him. Um, and we don't we don't have to um, habitually um, sin anymore without repentance. We we're free to to fight against our sin. Yeah, it's um, I think 
verse 11 of chapter 6. This is just my opinion. I think this is the thesis of 1 Corinthians. Um, like I, I think this is Paul's main thrust. Because I look here, um, starting a few verses earlier, right? Verse 9, do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Okay, unrighteous people won't inherit the kingdom of God. Got it. Who who are unrighteous? Paul answers that. Don't be don't don't be deceived, right? It's almost he's anticipating the objection. Okay, I'm not unrighteous. And so he's saying, Don't be deceived, I'm talking to you. So I'm reading it. Don't be deceived, Joey, I'm talking to you. The sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, these people won't inherit the kingdom of God. Look at this list, I'm like, that's me. He's got all of the above. Yeah, he's got he's got me, right? He's got me. And the the um it's uh what what what's the hope? Um verse eleven is the hope. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And and so man, there's this weight lifted off of my shoulders because the apostle Paul says that's not who you are. That doesn't describe you. All right, that that the the way that you're behaving is a rebellion against who you are in Christ Jesus. So live as you already are, which is going back a few weeks ago positionally right. Uh, in the presence of God. And, and that brings me so much comfort because it's a reminder that those temptations and the times where I, um, uh, I sin uh, is actually a rebellion, right? It, it can be easy for us to identify ourselves by our sins. When we sin, we think, man, this is, the sin defines me. Paul's saying, your sin, that doesn't define you. That's actually being who you're not. What defines you is Jesus Christ, being in Christ and his, the, his righteousness being imputed to you. That sin that you committed was cast on Christ, and God crucified him and poured all his wrath out for Jesus there. That, that's what defines you, not your sin, not that sin you just committed. And for those of us that are in Christ Jesus, we want to abuse that. We want to abuse that and say, well, let me sin even more because it's not counted against me. No one who's ever been converted by the gospel of Jesus Christ would ever abuse it in that manner. Um, and so for me, it's it's quite comforting for me to have longevity in my repentance because I can repent because of who I am in Christ. And it's it encourages me that when I do sin, that's... That's not who I am. That sin doesn't define me. Christ Jesus defines me, um, and that's a that's a gift from God. That uh, the only thing I can do in response to that is worship Him. Um, and so, and such were some of you. Right? That that flips um, every twelve step program on its head. Right? That that flips the uh, even when you hear um, like. Uh, some of these uh, rehab centers that have popped up because the local church hasn't been there for uh, people that are struggling with, with sinful addictions. Um, they're always identified by their addiction. I'm an alcoholic. I've been sober for 20 years. You're not an alcoholic. You're a new creation in Christ. You're a new creation in Christ. That's what you were. That's not who you are. Um, 
and so thankfully the gospel gives us a new name and and it's it's not the unrighteous list that Paul says the the people that are characterized by these sins they won't inherit they won't inherit the kingdom that, so that I'm, my name's not included in that list anymore but it's not because there's anything special in me it's because Christ uh, God, because of his own good character, put his, set his affections on me, and Christ died for me. Um, and so, so, and such were some of you. That's my identity. Um, that's your identity. That's those of us who profess Christ. That's that's who that's who we are now. Um, so, yeah. And I, I mean, verse eleven. I think it, it provides context in the sense that it's not Paul's not listing off um, this checklist of. If you um, participate in these behaviors, you're not a Christian. But if you do, if you abstain from them, you are a Christian. It's not a works based thing. Yeah, he's talking about, um, which is what we're tempted to to make it make into it. being. I mean, that's every religion in the world is works based or teaching some sort of um, you know be good, um, and it's not about us being able to be good because we can't be good. Um, it's about Christ um, redeeming us. Yep. I was hearing a, a good friend of mine preach this past Sunday night. The uh, He was talking about the dangers of when we offer Christ to people. We say, here's Christ. Here's what you have to do. Right? And he said, man, that's, that's, a tra- that's a big tragedy. Like the way that we offer Christ is, here's Christ. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. And, it's it's uh it's difficult it's difficult to do that because we're programmed um since the fall to to be where you mean the first thing that you see Adam and Eve do is they begin to sew loincloths together they, this this workspace salvation that's as early as the garden and ever since then we've been restless trying to re- both rebel against God while simultaneously seeking to earn our salvation and uh Jesus says come and uh, um there were i think that you had one other uh, no i think we covered it we i cover was gonna everything? yeah i was gonna bring up one comment but i think that comment would now be redundant since where this went so yeah. when has that stopped us <laughs> <laughs> no that's it so i i mean Thank you guys for listening in. Like always, the um, small group leaders were just a, an, another plug for you. We're getting we're gearing up for our uh, August small group training, small group leader training. So we're doing one for new small group leaders August 13th after the third service. And uh, for returning small group leaders, we're doing it August 14th, which is a Monday night. And we got child care at both. We have uh, food provided at both. And so uh, just mark that on your calendars. And uh, for those of you that are listening that are in a small group, um, would love to um, hear from you guys if you ever have questions about the sermon that you're hearing preached. Um, and we're always looking for small group leaders to link arms with us and, and help uh, shepherd this uh, wonderful large group of people that the Lord's bringing here to Coastal. So, uh, and I know you usually kind of give some instructions. Our address, what's the? Yes. Um, so, we uh, record these Tuesday afternoons. Um, so, if you do have any questions on this sermon, that's um, 
from the previous Sunday. You can email those questions as sermon questions at gocoastal.org. And if um, for some reason you're finding this podcast apart from our um, website, um, you can find our sermons online there as well. So gocoastal.org um, is where you can find the sermons and the podcast um, as well. So um, if you missed a Sunday sermon, um, you can catch up on it there and um, then email us any questions you might have and we'll work them into the podcast as best we can. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thank you.